We're starting a new series called Life Giving Relationship. So today I want to just lay down some foundation on how the Bible looks at relationships. My goal is that after the series, okay, you guys will have not just a, a more information here, but really a paradigm shift, a mental shift on how we look at relationship, which will lead to a proactive pursuit, okay, of life-giving relationship. You will, be, you will actually take action because of this. Some of the points I'm using today are, come from the book Covenant Relationship by Asher Intrater. I've been taught in college to uh, give credit where credit is due, so I'm giving Asher some credit. Okay, I'm making three points today. First point is relationship is not optional. Relationship, in fact, is the most important substance in the universe. Okay? Second point, out of uh, life-giving relationship naturally flows growth. Anybody want to grow here? Okay. Naturally flows growth. Okay. And then the third point I want to make is how do you do all this? How do you actually have a life-giving relationship? I'm making it super practical. I'm hoping that you will take action after these three points. So my first point, relationship is paramount. That means relationship is the most important thing. Now, I want to give you a little background to myself. I am not, growing up, my personality, I am not a big fan to relationships. Um, I am an introvert. I don't, I don't love engaging in big crowds. Uh, talking to new people makes me nervous. All that fun stuff. All the stuff uh, that relationship is involving, I don't enjoy. Now, I broke it down to two reasons why. Maybe you can connect. The first reason I don't enjoy relationship, I'm not looking forward to relationship, is relationship is messy. People are messy. I don't like messes. I come home. My kids are making a mess. I'm trying to have a smile on my face, trying to kiss my wife. But back in my mind, I'm like, I got to go clean that up. I got to go pick up. So I'm talking to my wife. Yeah, yeah, I'm just subconsciously picking stuff up and throwing in the bags. You know, I'm that obsessive compulsive personality. I don't like messiness. You know what is more messy than people? Nothing. People are the most messy thing there is. A relationship is messy. So the messiness nature of it makes me kind of like, ugh, I'm not sure about like, I like relationship. The second aspect of relationship I don't enjoy is because I've been hurt in relationship before. Anybody else been hurt before through relationship? So in my mind, I'm thinking, why will I go back to something that's going to hurt me? Okay, so I'm going to avoid relationship, stick to myself, do my own thing, and everyone will be happy. But even, I took this mentality even to ministry, okay? Um, I, I, I enjoy ministry, I, I feel like I'm good at it, but I thought to myself, ministry would be so much better if I don't have to deal with people. You know, in, <laughs> back in college, back in college, I went to, uh, I went to New York, um, I listened to this minister preach, and he had a good message and so forth. And afterwards, I was talking to him. I said, hey, pastor so-and-so. He's like, stop me right there. He's like, no, 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 no. I am not pastor. Don't call me pastor. I am preacher. Think about it for a second. I'm not pastor. These guys, I'm not pastoring these guys. I'm not dealing with these guys. My job here is just to preach. And I'm thinking, man, this guy's got all figured out. He, know, he, he knows what's up. You see, I don't mind the work of the ministry. In my heart, I just have problems dealing with people. Now, I want to talk about the, the, the concept of fellowship real quick, the word fellowship, okay? So we use the word fellowship a lot growing up in our churches and so forth, and we use it kind of like this. Um, I know tonight we're supposed to do a worship service and so forth, but um, since only a couple kids showed up, so we fellowshiped, and we went to go watch the Avengers instead. 
or um, tonight we have life group, but we're all tired, we're exhausted. So we just fellowship and turn on the game instead. I mean, that's how we use fellowship growing up. So in my mind, fellowship was kind of like the optional aspect to, to, to ministry, you know? It's, it's, it's kind of like a cop-out. You fellowship when you're lazy or you fellowship when you're tired. Um, but those are the things foundational to my, to my thoughts towards relationship and relational connection, especially in the context of the church. But then God started working on my heart, okay? I remember one day I was talking to Pastor Marion, okay? So you guys know how Pastor Marion is. She's like all about relationship. And I sat down, I was talking to her, and I was just being, in a moment of honesty and transparency, I said, you know, I just, I feel called towards ministry, but I don't know, I just, I struggle, I just don't really want to deal with people. I mean, I just said that, I verbalized that to her. And she kind of paused, and she looked me in the eyes, and she gave me the understatement of the year. She said, you might have some issues with that in the future. <laughs> you know, and the look on her eyes just told me, like, she's, she's thinking, this kid got no idea what he's talking about. He has got no clue. But you know, what happened in my heart was I started to let my experience, my painful experience, dictate my theology. You guys ever done that before? Let your own experience dictate what you believe in. We're not going to do that this morning. We're going to actually look at the scripture, what the scripture actually says about relationships. So I dug into scriptures a little bit. And one thing that popped out was in John chapter 17. Jesus is talking about his heavenly father. He's praying. He's saying, because you have, he said, the glory you've given me because you have loved me before the creation of the world. Now this verse indicates that the love between God and the father manifesting through this relationship predates the universe. In other words, the substance this mythical, intangible substance of relationship that we have is beyond our physical world. It was here before the creation, and after the world ends, after the physical world perish, relationship will still be here. It is truly eternal. Now think about that, the eternal aspect of relationship. I think that resonates with our hearts. You know, I think about some of the memories I had, some of, the, some of my most developmental phase of my life, whether it's college or grad school or high school. So if I think about high school, I don't remember, I said that this morning, I was looking at some educator, I was like, oh, shouldn't have said that. But I remember, I felt about some of the teachers I had in high school, I don't remember anything any of them said to me or taught me, okay? Uh, I literally don't remember, I, I'm sure I learned something in high school, uh, but if you ask me, what did you, what did you learn from so and so, I honestly don't remember. What I do remember vividly was who actually liked me and who couldn't stand me. I remember Mrs. Drake, uh, I didn't even remember their names. You know, there was, she was the history teacher in high school. Uh, I don't remember one history thing that she taught me. But I remember she genuinely cared about me. She gave me advice. She sought me out. She pursued me. It was, it was crazy. Most other teachers couldn't stand me, but she liked me. There's something about relationship that you remember. You remember relationship. I think about our, our founding pastor, Bishop. Um, for those who are new, our founding pastor, uh, Bishop, passed away a couple weeks ago. I think about the legacy he left us. Okay? Now, what leg- I'm thinking of myself personally. What legacy did Bishop leave me? He left me his teachings, which I appreciate. He left me his example, which I appreciate. But you know what is the most precious thing he left me and left you too? But this is for me I'm talking about personally. His legacy was the fact that he knew my name, I knew his name. 
that when I see him again, he's going to be like, hey, my favorite Chinaman, come over here. <laughs> now, I will find out in heaven whether he's got other favorite Chinaman too, but at least I'll be one of them. But the fact that he knows my name, I know his name, is my legacy. That's my treasure. That's my substance. I think about the, G- the thief who was crucified right next to Jesus. Jesus said to him, you know, today you will be with me in paradise. So he comes before the pearly gates, whatever it is, comes before the judgment seat of God. What does he have to offer? He doesn't have money. He doesn't have wealth. He doesn't have even clothes. He doesn't have a righteous life. He was crucified for being a thief. But you know what he had to offer? He offered the most valuable substance in the whole entire universe. He had a few precious minutes of genuine relationship and connection with Jesus. That was the substance of his treasure. And that was valuable enough, that connection with Jesus, for him to enter into paradise. The point I'm trying to make right now is our relationship is real and it's a substance. In fact, it's more real than anything we have in the physical world because it's internal. When I die, I will take nothing with me. I cannot take my car. Not that I want to. Uh, I can't take my clothes. I can't take my money. But what I will take is my relationship with you, my relationship with my God, my relationship with my wife, my kids. That will stay with me. Relationship is truly eternal. The second point I want to make is that relationship is in the core nature of God. 1 John chapter 4 Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. We use that verse a lot. God is love. What does that mean? Okay. To me, this speaks that deep in God's character resonates his deep commitment to relationship. Everything he does embodies loving relationship. Even his judgment, even his jealousy embodies love. Wherever God goes, love is there, manifesting itself through relationship. You know, I think about how God identifies himself, how he chooses to characterize himself. He generally does it through relationship, right? He's the Abba Father, right? He's the kind king. He's the shepherd. Jesus is the husband of the church, the Christ figure. Um, in his name, he's Jehovah Jireh, the provider. Provider for who? Provider for us. He's Jehovah Rava. He's the healer. Healer for who? For us. Now, in contrast to us, when we identify ourselves, we generally like to use what we do, right? I'm a, my name's Andrew. I am a teacher. I am a this. I am a that and so forth, you know. See, we choose to, we like to identify ourselves by what we produce. God identify himself by who he's in relationship with. Imagine if we do, the, we do what he did. We identify ourselves through our relationships, so I'll, I'll introduce myself like this. Hi, I am a father. I'm a son. I'm a brother. I'm a friend. I'm an uncle. I'm a pastor. My name's Andrew. Just gets you thinking about relationships. So those two points, relationship is internal. Relationship is in the core nature of God, which leads to my third conclusion, which relationship is the meaning of life. Philosophers have been asking that question for years and years and years. What is the point of life? What is the purpose of life? How do you win in life? How do you be successful in life? Jesus gave us the answer in Matthew chapter 22. He said, love God with all your heart and soul and all your strength, all your mind. And then he says, love your neighbor as yourself. So what is the meaning of life? Jesus said it's basically this. It is about building this 
transcendent, intangible, but also real substance called loving relationship. He says investing in relationship is the purpose of life. Now, back in the day, remember when the economy wasn't doing so well, everyone was talking about buying gold, buy gold, buy gold. Remember that? It was just me. You guys remember that? Why? Economy was tanking, so gold is the hedge, right? The substance of gold, the value of gold is going to remain high when the economy goes down. Now the economy is doing better. Everyone's talking about the, the, the stock market or uh, the American dollar. It's interesting. When I go all over the world, wherever I'm at, people will take your dollar, American dollar. It's crazy. We're in Cambodia. We're going down uh, the street in this tuk-tuk, and people took my American dollar. The American dollar is the most valuable, most uh, well-known used currency in the whole entire world. You know Why? Because the American dollar is backed up by the American economy, it's backed up by our taxpayers, it's backed up by you guys, and it's backed up by our American military. And then I have people telling me, you know what, you can invest in, you got to invest in real estate, right? You can always print more money, you cannot make more land. My response is, unless you're a volcano, I guess. But, but I get that. You know, land, you can't, generally you can't make more land, so you got to invest in land. And now people are investing in cryptocurrency, stuff that's only in the digital, zeros and ones and so forth. There's all these different investment tips out there. I have an investment tip for you today. You guys can probably guess. If you aren't investing in life-giving relationship, then you are wasting your time. You're wasting your money. You're wasting your resource. Life-giving relationship is the most lasting equity. Its value will never erode, and it's backed up by the most powerful force in the universe, not the American economy, but by the character of God. I mean, if you, that's not a paradigm shift for you. If you don't operate your worldview through the lens of investing in life-giving relationship, I don't know what to tell you. You know what I was talking about earlier, how um, I want to do ministry. I just don't want to deal with people. Now, Jesus actually says something about that. Or First John, the scripture, actually says something about that. First John chapter 4, he says, And he has given us this command, Anyone who loves God must also love their brothers and sisters. You know, when I said to Pastor Marion, it's like, I want to be in ministry, but I just want to deal with people. I might as well say to her, you know, I want to be a doctor, but I just don't want to deal with sick people. Or I might as well say, you know what, I, I want to be a pilot, but I don't ever want to fly a plane. I mean, there's confusion there. There's some real confusion. And there's some real wounds and hurts that needs healing. So if that's in your heart, I'm going to invite you to get some healing in those areas. You remember when we talk about fellowship? The whole idea of fellowship is kind of like the black sheep of the ministry family. And this is what I used to do. And some of you guys probably still do this. Uh, I would show up to meetings and life group and church and so forth about 15, 20 minutes late. It's like a magic spot, like just a bit late, just to miss the fellowship portion of the meeting. <laughs> right? You know, what, what, when I went to fellowship time, and this is when I was getting healed and so forth, being with people just brought up all the insecurities in me. It brought all the wounds and hurts, and I just didn't want to deal with that. So I justify, you know, that's just the optional part of the meeting. I'm going to go to the real, the real ministry, the preaching, the teaching. That's the real ministry, right? The fellowship, nah, that's the optional portion. That's how I thought about fellowship. You know, I have since had a paradigm shift in my mind. You know, fellowship is not the black sheep. Fellowship is the, the meaning, the goal, the vision for ministry. You know, evangelism, Bible study, uh, prayer, missions, outreach, worship. What's the purpose for all these different ministries? Is so that we can have fellowship with God and fellowship with each other. We need to rethink fellowship. And finally, John chapter 13, um, 
It says, by, everything, by, by this, everyone would know that you are my disciple if you love one another. You see, loving one another is indispensable, okay? In fact, we are shown to be Jesus' disciple if we love each other deeply. So my first point, again, relationship is paramount. It's the purpose of existence more important than anything else. My second point is that life-giving relationship naturally leads to growth. Now, let's talk about spiritual growth real quick. What is spiritual growth? I see it. I know it. Spiritual growth is when someone truly in their heart grow. I'm talking about someone who's deeply insecure and deeply prideful because those two are the same thing. All of a sudden becomes confident and they become humble. I'm talking about someone who's truly selfish, who cares only about their own needs, and all of a sudden becomes a loving husband and loving father. I'm talking about true spiritual growth. You've seen it. I've seen it. You've seen it yourself. I've seen it myself. I love it. I love spiritual growth. But the question I have is how do we actually do it? How do we replicate this process? How do I take a young man from point A to B to C? How do we truly spiritually grow somebody? Now, this is a relevant question because I have a few young kids. And because as a church... We're in the business of spiritually growing people, right? What else are we doing for our lives in our spiritually growing people? Now, you might be on the opposite side of this equation. You might be wondering, I've been doing this church thing for a while, years in fact, but I have not been spiritually growing. I don't know what's going on. I've been coming to church, reading my Bible, but I'm not spiritually growing. What's going on? What is the secret sauce, the secret formula to spiritual growth? So you're in luck today because I'm going to give you the answer. The answer is that you can't. We cannot make people grow. There's no process, Bible study, discipleship class to make someone have greater love for Jesus, love their wives more, have more faith, or become more self- selfless. Uh, we don't do hypnosis here. We don't brainwash people here. We don't make people grow. God is the one that makes people grow. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul says, I plant the seed, Apollos water it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who water have one purpose, and they will be rewarded according to their own labor. See, the truth is, the, the, the seemingly discouraging fact is that there's nothing we can do to make people spiritually grow. Okay? It's a supernatural thing that's done by the Holy Spirit. So what does that mean? Does that we sit around on our couch? Just say, well, there's nothing going to do anyway, so I might as well just wait on God. I'm just going to watch TV and just let it happen. No. Paul says very specifically, we have a purpose. We're supposed to sow the seed, and then we need to water the seed. So what does that mean? Sowing the seed obviously means we've got to preach the word. So I'm doing this right now. I'm trying to sow the seed. I'm jamming that seed into your heart, hoping it's fertile soil. Okay? But then we need to water it. Now, watering is something that we don't do a lot on Sunday. You know what watering does to a seed? Any farmers in here? A couple? When you water a seed, I have to look this up, right? So you guys probably know better. But when you water a seed, what the water does is it activates enzymes in the seed to call it germinate. You know, when a seed germinates, do you know what it does first? Does it go up or go down first? It goes down first. Where you can't see anything happening. This is the magic. It goes down first. It has to establish roots to get nutrients and sustenance. Okay, it has to anchor itself first. And then eventually it pops up so you can see it. I'm foreshadowing something before. But that's what watering does. You get connected. See, amazingly, the Bible actually compares our spiritual growth to plants a lot. 
Okay? In John chapter 15, Jesus said, I'm the vine, you are the... If you remain in me and I in, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So here's a spiritual principle here. In the scripture, in, 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 in Jesus' term, what he's trying to say is, when you are connected, you are alive. There's life. And when you're disconnected, there's death. Now, th- I think the best illustration is, um, when I give my wife a stem of rose, or a dozen st- stems of rose, is the rose alive or is it dead? It looks pretty, right? I mean, I'm not going to give her ugly rose. It looks pretty for a while. But since it's been disconnected, death is settling in. That's the picture of our spiritual life. When we're connected, there's life flowing in, okay? But when we're disconnected, apart from him, we can do nothing. There's no life flowing through. Even though we might look pretty, you might be all pretty looking, and everything seems to be going well for a season, but death is already settling in. So what Jesus is saying, you know what? Stop focusing on the beauty. Stop focusing on the fruit. Stop focusing on growth. You can't make those things happen. Your focus instead should be on being connected, being planted, being connected to each other. It's the same with us in the church. The church is not an organization. We're not a party. We're not a business. We're not a social club. We are a body. Now, I know we heard that before, the church is a body. But I know for me, even now, I'm trying to really comprehend what that actually means. How can we be a body? Some of you, I don't even know your first name. How can we be a body? But we're supposed to be, when Jesus sees us, he sees us as a body. And Paul, speaking of the church, says, from, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligaments, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So here's the picture. When we are all connected, when we're connected like a body, like we're supposed to, with Jesus as the head, we are healthy. Okay? When we're connected, there's life flowing through. There's, there's nutrients, sustenance coming in. And when we're connected, we will naturally grow. I think about my kids. You know, I don't worry about growth for my kids. Right? I'm not thinking, man, how do I make my kids grow? I just make sure they're healthy. I make sure they're eating and there's generally not a problem with that. I make sure I, you know, they're drinking water. I make sure I'm changing their diapers. I make sure uh, they're not, if they're sick, you know, take them to the doctor. I just make sure they're healthy. I just make sure they're connected. I just make sure that there's sustenance going to their body, okay? And then they will naturally grow. Because you can't help them from growing when they're connected and when they're healthy. It's the same thing with us in the body. Our focus as the church should not be on growth. Our, fir- our focus should be on connection. You can't, and here's the, you can't be, I'm just connected to God and I'm not connected to anybody else. Or you can't just be, I'm connected to people and I'm not connected to Christ. That doesn't work. If you're connected to Christ, you will naturally want to love his body, right? And if you're connected to, to life-giving relationship, they should naturally lead you to Christ. So this is why we call a life-giving relationship. Because when we're connected, life literally flows through these relationships, like oxygen, carrying, uh, carrying oxygen to our muscles and tissue. So here's the deal. We do our part. We stay connected. We're connected to each other. 
we connected to Jesus, God would do his part. He would do his supernatural part, which is to make us grow. So this is kind of my testimony about growth. You know, we have many spiritual infants with giant brains. You guys ever seen them walking around? Little kids with huge brains, and they can't even stand up straight because their brain is so big. We can't really see it, but many of us walk among us. Okay, I was one of those kids. Uh, I have all these spiritual understanding in my mind, but deep in my heart, my spiritual growth is like an infant. Um, you know, when I was, where I grew up and so forth, um, one aspect of my, my life really illustrates this point. Um, that was in my dating relationship. Um, back in Virginia, when I was dating my wife at the time, girlfriend at the time, but wife now, Debbie, um, you know, when we grew up, relationship was very private. Um, we didn't want anyone knowing our stuff. Um, when we first started dating, all these issues start coming up, struggles coming up, shameful things, and just, you know, mess, messiness of relationships, right? Um, but we didn't seek connection because the last thing I wanted to do is be transparent. I'll be real. I didn't want people to know how messed up I was. And she didn't want people to see how messed up she was. And basically the shame kept us from being connected. But the issue was also that no one else was sharing their dirt. So we thought everyone else was doing fine. So no one really shared anything. And that disconnection really affected our relationship. Um, we became a relational island. Uh, eventually that, that, that solitude, that disconnectedness really killed our relationship. Um, our relationship just crashed and burned. But it revealed to us how immature we are. You know, um, after that, I moved out to northwest Indiana. I came to Crown Point. I came to Living Stones. And um, there were a couple things. Actually, there were more than a couple. There were actually several things that gave me some huge culture shock when I first saw it. Okay? The first thing was probably the weather. Like, no one told me how cold northwest Indiana was. <laughs> I came in January. It was like, whoa, okay, this is not like Virginia. Um, but something else that really, really shook me um, in a tangible way was marriage class. Now, people have said marriage classes like Jerry Springer on crack, like Christian Jerry Springer. Everybody else heard that before, right? I had no idea what that meant. I didn't watch Jerry Springer. Um, but when I went there, my first impression was like I could not believe how people were airing their dirty laundry in front of everybody. I mean, that's what I thought. People, I remember the first time I went, I, someone talking about, how, talking about their affairs, like how he cheated on his wife openly. And, and he wasn't boasting about it. He was just sharing about his hurtful process. Remember another time when someone just sharing about their pornography addiction in front of everybody. People didn't even know. Because they didn't know me. I didn't know them. And I'm just thinking, what is going on here? This is, this is weird. This is weird to me. Now, looking back now, I realize why they did it. They didn't do it because they just you know, have a longing desire for everyone to know their business. No, that wasn't why. They did it because they understood this principle. Out of transparency comes Intimacy. Transparency leads to intimacy. Intimacy leads to connectedness. And out of connectedness comes life and healing and restoration. So the people who were sharing all that stuff, they weren't trying to, they were doing that because they wanted healing. They wanted life. And you know, after a while, after I got my bearings, I realized that's exactly what I needed. That's exactly why I'm here. I need life so I can grow, so I can be healed. And looking back, God put me in the perfect position you know, for those who don't know, I live with our senior pastor for four years. Pastor Ron has, have, 
He has eight kids and a dog at a time. Um, there was so much connectedness. I, was, I had connectedness coming out of my nose. I mean, it was overwhelming at first. I mean, it was just craziness at first. I remember uh, dinner time. Every night, dinner time was like a family reunion. It really was. I mean, it was like 10 to 12 to 15 people at the dinner table every time, just connecting, catching up. There's so much life and activities going on. Uh, I remember the wrestling matches. You know, it started out with like, one kid and the dog, and then he became three kids, and then everyone else jumped in, and everyone else jumped in, and the, go- and the dog bowed out, and eventually the dog jumped back in. I mean, it was just these crazy wrestling matches. I remember the Christmas morning, my first, first Christmas morning with the Johnsons, it went from like 8 o'clock morning to like 5 o'clock afternoon. It was like a marathon match. Um, um, they were, I remember Lawrence like stuffing these uh, wrapping papers in the trash, the trash can, like just keep stuffing these wrapping papers. But there was so much life, and that's exactly what I needed. I need a life. I need a connection. I remember the late night chats. I have a pastor on Marion getting connected with them. I remember pacing out in that field out back, just walking around by myself because I need a life. I need a connection with Jesus. In the midst of these connections, even though there were times in which I didn't feel like anything was going on, I didn't feel like I was growing, I didn't feel like anything was happening, God was growing me. And the fruit of this was 30 years of wounds and hurts and, and, and struggles. You, you guys know there, there was those struggles that you just never think you were going to get over. You thought you would never overcome. I mean, after like 30 years of this, you just think it's going to be with you forever. But through this process, through following God's process, I overcame one after one. And there's still others I'm working through. But I grew and I learned because I got the sustenance I need for life. First point, relationship is paramount. My second point, out of life-giving relationship comes life and comes growth and comes fruit. The third point, I'm not going to leave you guys hanging. I'm going to tell you how do you practically be connected to life-giving relationship. The first question for you is whether you are already connected. Do you have life-giving relationship? The first point is conviction, right? Am I connected? A lot of times we think we're connected and we're not really connected. A lot of times uh, we don't even know how connected we are. So I have a simple question for you. Look around real quick. Look around the people around you. Look around your church body. Now they might be in first service or they might be on vacation. But my question for you is this. Is there anyone in your church family that you would trust with your life? Here's some yes here. How about this? Are there anyone in your church family who, if something happened to you, you would trust them with your kids, that they would love you as their own? I think that those are good questions, right, about connectedness, right? But those are serious questions, too. I want to challenge you with those serious questions because I don't want to lower the bar for connectedness. You know, the Bible talks about us as a body, okay? You know, if, if a boulder came and crushed my legs, how long will my arms hesitate to move that boulder? Not very long, right? Split second. You know why? Because the pain I feel in my legs, it's the same pain I feel in my arm. That's what it means to be a body. I'll say that one more time. The pain I feel in my legs will be the same pain I feel in my arm because that's what it means to be a body. In other words, when we're connected, if we're connected, if you feel pain, I should feel pain. If you feel joy, I should feel joy because we're one body. That's what it means to be connected. Now, if you are connected, awesome. Stay connected. 
Don't be like those rolls cut off at the stem. You're still looking pretty. Things are still going well for a while, but death is settling in. Don't do that. Stay connected. If you are not connected, I have two pieces of advice for you. Real practical. The first one is connection will take work. You know, in grad school, I was in the pharmacology department. I hung out with um, tons. Of, I studied. Here's the trick to grad school. You got to find people to study with, okay? And I found the best people to study with. You don't want to find someone who's going to study with and they're just goofing off the whole time, right? You want to find someone who's like, take a little break, but they also want to study. So I found a great group of people to study with. I studied with medical students because those guys are hardcore. I have never met one medical student who went to medical school because of the process. Does that make sense? No one went to go to medical school because they just love going to class so much. They love going to cadaver labs and look at those dead bodies. They love going, waking up middle of the night to go to internships. Or they love, you know, taking final board exams and so forth. No one goes to medical school, wants to be a doctor because of the process. They go because of the division, right? They go because they know the goal and they want what's at the end of medical school. Now, we understand that about something like school and training and so forth. But we don't really understand that about relationships, we're in a society right now, and you try to connect with somebody, after five minutes of connection, you're like, oh, that wasn't so great. You're like, well, it wasn't meant to be. I'm telling you, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. You have to invest in relationship. Salvation is free, but the Bible says, be endeavor, make every effort to keep the unity and the bond of peace. In other words, make every effort to build good relationships. I don't have one. I went through my relationship, my life-giving relationship. I don't have one life-giving relationship in which I did not heavily pursue. And that they didn't heavily pursue me. I'll say it one more time. I don't have one life-giving relationship and I didn't spend time and energy pursuing. So I want to dispel that myth. If you want a life-giving relationship, you have to invest in it. You have to build it. You have to take time and energy and work on it. The second point about building life relation, life-giving relationship is that connection is going to take faith. What does that mean? Connection is going to take faith. I'm saying there's an unseen element to connection and growth that you have to trust God's process. Okay. In Mark chapter 4, this verse I never really understood until now, until I'm studying about relationship. Uh, but Jesus said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. He said, a man scatters seeds on the ground night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts a sickle to it because the harvest has come. He said, that is the kingdom of God. What does that mean? It means that the farmer has faith in his process. Think about that. If a farmer doesn't have faith, he's going to get discouraged real quickly. Because once you plant the seed, what happens? Immediately. Nothing. Nothing happens. Everything that happens underground. You don't see anything happening for a while. You have to trust the process. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but I've been going to the gym recently, working out, trying to pump more iron, getting bigger. Maybe. Okay, no one knows. That's fine. But... I was thinking about this the other day. You know, going to work out, you're exercising faith in the process, right? Because after you work out, like I went to work out yesterday, and today I don't feel so great. My legs hurt, barely walk, my muscles feel like jelly. If I'm looking for immediate results, okay, I'm not getting it from working out. But guess what happens? 
I've been doing this over and over again enough time so that I have faith in the process. So you know when the next day, if I feel soreness, I'm actually happy because I know it's working. I know something's happening. The soreness is foreshadowing the fact that there's growth happening. I'm trusting the process. So we trust the process for farming. We trust the process for working out. But we don't trust the process for spiritual growth. We don't trust the process for connection. How often do we say this? I don't feel any connection with anyone here. I guess I just don't belong. Or how about this? Those people are just too different from me. I can't connect with them. You know, when I first came to Crown Point, trying to get connected with people in life group, my first thought was those two. I can't connect with these guys. They're way too different from me. These guys are my age, but they all have five kids already. I'm a single guy. I have nothing in common with these guys. But fast forward 10 years later, these guys with five kids and so forth are some of my best friends. But that didn't happen because I just sat around. That happened because I went through and I pursued and I dig at it and they pursued me. We worked at it and had to trust the process. How often do we go and say, hey, I want to go connect with Jesus. I need to be at Jesus. I need to be, I, I'm tired of being distant with him. I want, to, I want to be intimate with Jesus. So you go in and you pray for five minutes and you heard nothing. And you're like, ah, oh, I guess it wasn't meant to be. Or I guess Jesus is busy today. Or you press through for intimacy and then God just feels so far away. The harder you press for intimacy, the further he feels. You know what? God's doing stuff in your own heart. And you don't even know what. But you got to trust the process. Now, I'm going to close up using up my wife's testimony. I asked her for permission. Actually, I didn't ask her permission. I just told her I was going to do it. Um, I'm sure she doesn't mind. So I was sharing earlier about how, um, you know, our, when we were dating, our relationship crashed and burned. It was terrible. Um, and then we broke up. And then I came out here, and I started growing. Started growing. And she saw how I grew. So we kept in touch awkward relationship. You know how it is. But she saw the high grew, and she, she was longing for growth. So she felt called to move out here. She came out here for one reason, because she saw life. She really saw life. But if you knew my wife, she is not an extrovert, and she does not like to do new things. Um, for her to be plugged into a new environment, even now, it's kind of like pulling teeth, okay? Um, but one thing she knew, she needed to be connected. So when she came out here, she just put herself out there. She connected herself. When she didn't know how to connect, she just served the people. So if you don't know how to connect, one best way is just serve them. Serve them well. That's a great way to get connection. You know, but she pursued Jesus even though she felt nothing for distance. You know, she was just sharing this with me. She, she said, you know what, before life group, every Monday night before life group, she would sit in bed and she would cry. She so did not want to go to life group. Not because life group was bad, because life group stirred up all kinds of insecurities in her own heart. Stirred all kinds of rejection in her own heart. She knew that wasn't God, and she knew the easy thing would be to stay home. But she fought through it. She cried, she prayed, and she fought it. And she had to go because life group was downstairs because her whole host family was a life group leader. So it would be kind of weird if she stayed upstairs. She had nowhere to hide. Um, but I'm just saying, I, I want to dispel this idea that, hey, pursuing relationships is supposed to be easy. It's supposed to be fun. Connection is supposed to be easy. It wasn't easy for her. It wasn't easy for me. She told me that season when she was getting connected and she was trying to get plugged in, several times, three or four times, she wanted to pack everything in her bags and just drive back to Virginia. Because what? She didn't see any fruit. She didn't see any growth. That's the reality of what it looks like. It's hard. And she needed faith. But, you know, I'm so proud of her. She plugged, you know, I didn't know any of that during the time because our relationship was kind of weird. 
She kept all that to herself. I didn't, I didn't realize that until way later. But she just plugged in. She just kept churning, churning, churning. You see, if I was a devil, I wouldn't mind you doing religious things. I would do anything to keep you from being connected. But Debbie kept pressing in. She trusts God's process. You know, and God delivered. You know, I want to show a video of a seed. What actually happens in the seed. It's kind of cool because I think it really illustrates our process of being connected. Now, I want you to watch this video not with your mind, but to watch with your spirit. Does that make sense? I want to speak to your spirit right now. I want you to see this video represent God's process for you and for us. Okay? So go ahead and play it. There's a couple second delay, but hang with me. That sees you, it's my wife's Debbie. So you're pursuing God, so God's doing something underneath the ground. He's playing the seed, He's anchoring us. But we don't see anything going on. On the top, there's nothing happening. But you know what? In one moment, God moves, and all of a sudden, the seed can see the sun again. And that's what God wants to do in our heart. But He needs to anchor the stuff in our heart first, He needs to make sure it's working in our heart first. He makes he needs to make sure we're anchored so that one day we can see the sun and grow. And even though the sea at first couldn't see the sun, he realized the sun was cheering him on the whole time. God was cheering us on the whole time. It's interesting because on our wedding day, some of you guys were there, my wife was like a queen. She was fully alive. She was unrecognizable from the shy, insecure girl that I've known for years. And I asked her, I asked her, how did you grow? What happened? Where was the transformation? What caused the growth? You know what she said to me? She said, I have no idea what happened. I have no idea what happened. I just plugged in. I just got connected. And one day she just woke up and all of a sudden she was full of life. And the sun's shining on her again. So many of you are battling with us today. I want to encourage you, don't give up. Keep your connection. Trust God with the process. He's working in you. You got to allow God to complete the rooting. Some, God's doing root. He's doing root work in you right now. He's trying to get you deeply connected. Now, you don't see anything above the surface. You think nothing's happening. But you got to trust God that he's doing things in there. You know, we at Living Stones, we're in the business of helping you grow. And we're going to do that by getting you connected. The purpose of the church is so that you can be connected deeply to God and to each other. And we're doing that through our life group. Let's put the life group slide up. I'm preparing you guys for our life group launch on September 9th. Circle that in your calendar. September 9th is a launch of our life group. We will have life group meeting all over the week, all throughout the week in different locations. Our goal is that every single one of you will be plugged in a life-giving relationship through our life group. If you wonder what we do in a life group, we do four things. Very simple. We fellowship. Sometimes we eat together. We hang out together. We worship together. We do a short lesson together. And then we fellowship again. We're not scary. There's nothing weird going on. We're just being connected. And we have life group leaders. The life group leaders' goal is very simple. 
Life group leader is there to take ownership of helping you get connected with God and with each other. And they will be doing something using something called next step. Now, next step is the word you hear a lot in the future. But let me ask you a question. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time, right? So how do you be fully mature in Jesus? One step at a time. So in life, we're not asking you for your 10-year spiritual plan. We're simply asking you to be taking one step at a time. One next step. And that's what we'll be doing in life group. So again, the launch is going to be in September 9th. But I'm asking you guys to do something today, okay? If you feel this call, you feel like, you know what, that's exactly what I need. I am stuck. I need life-giving relationships. I want you guys to go out there. And there's a sign-up sheet for Life Group. I want you to sign up for the Life Group. If you haven't been connected to a Life Group or you want to renew your commitment to Life Group, please just sign up for a Life Group. We ask you for some information. We want to take ownership to help you get connected. Now, we don't have a Life Group sheet yet, our, our, our sheet of all the Life Group leaders. We're still in the process of working that out. But we just want to get you to, to take an action step today, an act of faith to sign up for a Life Group and says, I want to be plugged into the Life Group. Now, you can also go into our website, our church website, under our new sermon series, the button says, Get Connected. We want to get, want you guys to get connected. Okay? Amen? Does that make sense? Life-giving relationship, that's what we need more than anything else. Okay? Well, you guys are dismissed. I want to encourage you guys to go pursue life-giving relationship. If you need prayer for anything, come on down. We have marriage class at 4 o'clock today. Um, come on down for prayer, for hurts or wounds, anything you need in your body. Go out and get connected in life-giving relationship. Have a great Sunday.